Good morning, y'all. And happy Lord's Day. Thank you. Guys, it's so good to see y'all. There's a big old packed church all over the place. It's beautiful. Uh, guys, we're going to jump into marriage here in a little bit, but i got to throw a question out to you. You know, a lot of times people look at priests, right? And they say, oh, he's the guy that's got to be holy, right? We look at priests and we think they're the ones that are supposed to be the saints, right? Um, and so we're supposed to be the ones that go pray, and we're supposed to be the ones that go and do charitable works and all those sorts of things. And if we're not doing those things, it can sure cause a scandal, right? I mean, seriously, what if you saw me going out to Roxy's every Thursday night, <laughs> right? And I'm sitting there drinking and flirting with all kind of women and stuff, and you'd go, oh, Father. And I'm like, I'm evangelizing. <laughs> yeah, right. She's like, yeah, Father, um, something's going on here. It would be scandalous, right? And so sometimes it's really good for priests to have a little retreat time, a little time away, the time to go and reflect, the time to have somebody speak to us about the priesthood. Who are we? What are we called to? They hold the ideal up. Because just like you guys in life, in marriage, in relationships, um, sometimes like those jars of water that's talked about in the gospel reading, sometimes life gets kind of messy and that water gets kind of cloudy, right? And so it's good to remember. It's good to hold the ideal. So we have something to shoot for. And so we look at marriage, right? How many of you would think the first thing about marriage, I'm called to marriage, and I'm called to marriage because I'm called to get to heaven and my spouse is going to help me get there. I'm called to be holy through marriage. Anybody? It's not always the first thing we think of, right? But I'm here to tell you good news. I'm here to tell you that that is exactly what you're called to in marriage. I'm here to hold up today in a very short period of time of which could take hours to talk about the beauty of what so many of you in the church today are either living or maybe one day called to, right? Because we've got to see the ideal. It's supposed to be refreshing, something to shoot for, right? And so whenever we look at marriage, one amazing thing for us to realize is that God loves marriage. He loves it. He loves it. He's the one that created it, right? Whenever you go back into the book of Genesis, we see God creating the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And as beautiful and as wonderful as all of creation was, he finally made Adam. And Adam is sitting there naming all the animals and doing his thing that God told him to do to have dominion over everything. And then there's something inside of Adam that was still incomplete, Something that was still aching inside of his heart that he needed a helpmate. He needed someone to be like him. And so we all know the story. God calls Adam and he puts a deep sleep to go into, into Adam, right? And while Adam's asleep, he pulls that rib out of Adam's side and he creates woman, right? And so he creates woman. The apex of all of creation is woman. God looked at everything. He looked at Adam and he said, huh, I could do better than that. Let me create woman. She's the apex of all creation. And what happens is amazing. The first marriage takes place, and God is present. Adam wakes up. You've got to imagine this. He wakes up in the garden, and all of a sudden he sees before his eyes God the Father. And he's got Eve locked onto his arm. And now all of a sudden there's this beautiful procession that takes place in the garden. And God approaches Adam as he's got Eve on his arm right there. And he comes to Adam and he presents Eve to Adam. 
And guys, I don't know about you, but that must have been a magnificent moment. And scripture says that Adam woke up from this. And as he beheld this glorious vision of woman held by God, Adam looks at her and he exclaims from the bottom and the depths of his heart, his longing finally had come. And he looks at her and he says, this one at last is flesh in my flesh, bone of my bones. This one shall be called, whoa, man, whoa. Now we know that Adam was not a Cajun because if he'd have looked at Eve and he'd have seen the beauty of Eve, Adam, if he was a Cajun, would have gone, oh, man, God, they don't, would you? Look at that, baby. God, you made that for me. You're so nice. Thank you. She's beautiful. <laughs> but he wasn't Cajun. And so Adam receives this beautiful gift of woman. And a sacramental bond, a covenant takes place right there. And now what is just a, a giving of the other now becomes sacramentally bond. The two become one flesh. And then what's the first thing God tells them to do? Be fruitful and multiply. Right? Go be some good little Catholics and have ten kids. Right? That's what we're talking about, right? Go be fruitful and multiply. Have children. God blesses that kind of union between man and woman. All right? I got little ears that are around the pews. Men and women, husbands, wives, you know what I'm talking about when I talk about that kind of union. The marital embrace. Beautiful. Holy. God creates that action between man and woman to create life. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way. But that act between man and woman, you as husband and wife become co-creators with God. <laughs> co-creators with God. You can be open to human life and that action can, a life can begin. There's no other action that happens between man and woman that he becomes co-creator with God. I can't walk up to my wife and peach knuck her on the ear and, and conception takes place. That's not a holy act. But that action is good, and it's holy, and it's sacred, and God blesses it. And it becomes the very image of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three become one. What happens in the sanctuary, in the exchange of vows, becomes a physical reality in the marital embrace. The hearts are bound together. They're made one in the sacramental union of marriage. And for God says, what I want the world to see, I want them to express in their very bodies the reality that has happened in their souls. They're fused together as one. And that reality is expressed in the body. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift. And this is why the enemy wants to destroy that gift. From the beginning of time, what happens? The minute the enemy sees husband and wife, he sees the holiness of what's going on, what did he set out to do? Destroy them. Right? And that particular action between man and woman, he wants to totally destroy. Right? And so we see this. The enemy now enters into the garden. That which should have been sacred, holy, protected by man and woman, the enemy enters in. And he begins to have a conversation, not with Adam, but with Eve. He goes after the woman first. And he goes after her, and he begins to talk to her. 
and they begin to communicate to each other. She talks to the, Satan, and he talks back to her. Three times they have this conversation. And a question might come, where was Adam? As his wife was being tempted by Satan, where was this guy? Well, scripture tells us right here. He was standing right next to his wife, and she gave him the apple, the fruit, and he ate of it. Adam was standing right there, guys. While Eve was being tempted by Satan, he was standing right there. And again, this is how you know Adam was an occasion, because he just took the snake and chopped it up and made a sauce call out of him. Right? <laughs> I ain't right. I apologize. But that's really, really, Adam was just standing right there as his wife was being tempted by Satan, and he didn't stop her. He didn't protect her. He just let her get demolished by him and then participated with him. That's what happened in the garden the very first communication breakdown took place. Eve spent more time talking to Satan than she did talking to her husband. And maybe her husband was sitting off to the side looking at Facebook and playing video games. I don't know what he was doing, but the reality is she entertained a conversation with the enemy. And if she would have just entertained a conversation with her husband, maybe that wouldn't have happened. But you know as well as I do that communication is probably one of the biggest struggles in marriage. Can I get an amen on that one? And so the enemy wants to stop that and communication get in the way of that. But we know the rest of the story, right? I don't have to go into it the whole way. We know the rest of the story. God sends the promise of the Redeemer to Adam and Eve, right? And so the Redeemer comes into history, a few thousand years later, Jesus is born. He loves marriage so much that he wants to be born into this marriage, this union between husband and wife. And although in a supernatural way Jesus is formed in the womb of Our Lady, the reality is he wants to experience family. Right? And so Jesus in the womb of Mary becomes like every other little baby. Right? formed in the womb of Mary, just like all the other little babies are. And they begin to get little fingers and toes. And around 10 to 12 weeks, his little sacred heart starts to beat. And he takes flesh of her flesh and bone of her bones of Mary's. And he becomes the God-man. He loves family so much, he wanted to be a part of it. And most of his life, he spent it in his family. We only know really three short years of most of Jesus' life. And then, today's gospel takes place. Jesus is invited to a wedding. Now, in Jewish culture, weddings took about a week to have a reception, right? Because people had to travel by donkey and all that kind of stuff, or camels. And so they get there. So wedding receptions took about three to five days. We see in here that this wedding was going on, and this was now day three of this wedding. They still had a couple of days to go. And this little married couple ended up running out of wine. Can you imagine how embarrassing that would have been, right? I mean, imagine if that would happen at your wedding reception, and you have all your friends and all of Thibodeau is over at this reception hall, and all of a sudden, midway through your reception, you ran out of all alcohol. <laughs> That's a Cajun's nightmare, right? <laughs> what an embarrassment. You'd be the talk of Thibodeau. Oh, can you believe they ran out of alcohol at their wedding? Oh, I feel so bad for them. <laughs> So day three, they run out. And so what happens here is Our Lady intercedes. She goes to her son, son, they don't have any more wine. And Jesus looks at her and goes, woman, what concern of this is yours and mine? My hour hasn't yet come. And Mary says to the head waiter, 
Just do whatever he tells you to do. Because she has absolute confidence that Jesus is going to intercede in this. I don't have time to get into all the stuff that goes into that. But what I do know is that Jesus performs his very first miracle at the request of his mom. And it's at a wedding. And he loves marriage. And he wants to protect this young couple. And so what does Jesus do? He looks at these 12 stone water jars over there that were for Jewish ceremonial washings. What's that mean? It means that's where they would come in and wash their feet. This was nasty, dirty, skanky foot water. It was gross. But they're huge gallons, right? And so Jesus tells the head waiter, go and fill them to the brim with good water. Notice he did not say, dump the old gross water out and then fill it up with some good stuff. He mixes this new water with the old junk. And then he blesses it. And then it becomes not just crystal clear water, but new wine. That which was one element becomes another at the blessing of Jesus. Such a powerful image, right? This wine, and the head waiter looks at it and goes, oh my gosh, why they save the good stuff until last? Like everybody usually serves the good stuff first, and then when everybody's drunk, you serve the bad stuff. Right? That's what he says. Well, not quite like that, but something like that. Serve the good wine last. And as I prayed with this, I came to realize I looked at my own life in the priesthood. And I'm like, you know what? That's very much like in the priesthood. It's those jars of water in the beginning of the priesthood. It was awesome. And it was fun and it was exciting. I was, I was, I was a priest. I was doing cool stuff and I was doing supernatural stuff. And it was amazing. It was that fresh water. But as the water was being given out and all of a sudden it started getting dirty and didn't look quite as exciting and clean. Um, sin started getting mixed up inside of it. Started needing Jesus to create something new. Right? My love began to dwindle for Jesus. Didn't have the fire that I once had. And the same thing I think happens with marriage. If we look at those jars, many times that can also be the symbol of marriage. Think about it. Reality check right here, right? In the beginning, whenever you first start dating your spouse, oh my gosh. It's fun, it's exciting, you're in love, and there's fluffy feelings everywhere, and it's, you want to spend the rest of your life with them, and it's just a great experience, right? And that water's going out, and all of a sudden it starts to get dull. It starts to get ordinary. It starts to get cloudy with different sin. And many times there's a thought of, i just got to start all that over. i got to dump that water out and start new, right? But I would say many times right there within marriage, Jesus just wants to add fresh water in. Maybe that's through acts of charity and acts of sacrifice that you do for your spouse, although it might be tough to do sometimes. And then once you start to practice that sacrifice and that charity, um, maybe then is the time where we go to Jesus as husbands and wives and say, Lord, I need you to make something new in this. And Jesus can bless that. And Jesus can create that which we think is just dirty old water and just stale. He can actually recreate within husband and wife the beauty of love that is even deeper than what there once was in the beginning when they stood in the sanctuary and exchanged vows. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. That love becomes new. Love becomes clean. Love becomes beautiful in sacramental union no matter what the past was. If the two are willing to really come to Jesus and ask Him to bless 
and renew and sanctify and restore, right? And so how do we do this? Because, guys, the reality is whenever you're bound together in sacramental union, it's supernatural. It's not just a marital union by the state. It's a supernatural union between man, woman, and God. And so it takes supernatural grace to sustain that. And so many times, we don't approach it that way. And people come to me all the time, Father, my marriage is struggling, it's rocky, it's this, it's that. My questions always is, do y'all pray together as husband and wife? Well, I pray for her. I pray for him. No, do you pray together? That's an important thing. And do you bless your spouse? And so I've said this many, many, many times. A simple little prayer that can cause a flood of grace to come into a marriage. And I tell you this because I want the best of you. I want you to live this beautiful sacrament in a way that you deserve, in a way that the world needs to see. How do you begin supernatural grace coming into marriage? Simple. And our Father, hell, Mary, and glory be. And then bless them. Make the sign of the cross on their forehead. Boom. Boom. Right? It's a way of protection. Where Adam messed up in the garden, you now can protect with the sign of the cross on your spouse's forehead. At our Father, Hail Mary, and glory be every day, non-negotiable. Make it happen. And you'll begin seeing beautiful new wine welling up within your hearts. And it's going to be fresh. And love will be restored and recreated even better and deeper than it was. I was with some friends of mine last weekend, and uh, they've been married for 20-something years. They have seven kids. And it was beautiful to see because the wife said to me, she said, Father, she said, I'm more in love with my husband today than I was when I first met him. Why? Because God is at the very center of everything they do. And God is love. And so there's no outdoing that are running out of that. It's always new. It's always powerful. And so, guys, because I love marriage and uh, I love the sacrament of marriage, I would ask something right now. All you married couples, um, I want to give you a blessing today, and then I want you to have a moment to be able to bless your spouse. So if you're married, I want you to stand up and get close to your spouse, and I'm going to give you a blessing. All right, just stand next to your spouse. And if your spouse isn't here, you can just ask the, your guardian angel to go bless them wherever they might be. Or if your spouse has passed away, ask them. They're standing before the face of our Holy Father in Heaven. Ask them to bless you. Right? So, turn to your spouse. And you can join your right hands. <laughs> Sounds like that beautiful marriage day. Look at your spouse in the eyes as I give you these blessings. Almighty and eternal God, you have so exalted the unbreakable bond of marriage that it has become the sacramental sign of your son's union with the church and his spouse. Look with favor upon all these couples whom you have united in marriage as they ask for your help and the protection of the Blessed Virgin Mary. They pray that in good times and in bad they may grow in love for each other, that they may resolve to be of one heart in the bond of peace. Lord, in their struggles let them rejoice that you are near to help them in their needs, let them know that you are there to rescue them. In their joys, let them see that you are the source and completion of every happiness. We ask this through Christ our Lord. And now I ask the husband to please make the sign of the cross on your spouse's forehead. And the wives return the blessing 
And I just feel like I should say, you can kiss your bride. <laughs> Congratulations, y'all.